Hello, and welcome to Field Notes, the weekly podcast of the Military Fellowship Center in Jacksonville, North Carolina, serving Marines stationed at Cap Lejeune and surrounding areas. Military Fellowship Center is a ministry of Military Evangelism Incorporated. Our speaker and host for the program is Dave Mason, the General Director of Military Evangelism and the Field Director at Jacksonville. Visit us on the web at militaryfellowshipministry.com or email us at militaryfellowshipctr at gmail.com. Now, here's Dave Mason. Galatians chapter 4, we're going to talk about the biblical doctrine of adoption tonight. I uh, hope you're on track with your Bible reading. If you are, you read Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 today. If not, read that tonight and just keep going. Galatians is kind of easy, two chapters a day, so that kind of gave you a little reprieve, right? So tonight uh, we get to chapter 4, and the book of Galatians is really Paul arguing, the entire book he's arguing with the Galatian church, you don't have to follow the law. You don't, you don't have to have all these rules. You know, there's one rule. Jesus Christ died for our sins, you know, and, and faith in him, faith is what saves us and, and, and justifies us and keeps us justified and uh, you know, verse 21 of chapter 2 is kind of the whole thesis statement of this book. Uh, I do not frustrate the grace of God. If righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. In modern language, if you can make God happy by doing good things and by keeping certain rules, then Jesus Christ died a foolish death. There is no reason for Christ to die if you can make God happy. If you can make God accept you as righteous because of what you do, then there is no reason for Jesus to die. And so we have to come to that point in our lives where we realize that not only are we saved by faith, but we're kept by faith. Most of the legalism that is seeping into the churches today, uh, you know, it's mostly in the conservative churches, the old-fashioned churches and all, but most of the legalism in the churches today is not so much about salvation but about sanctification. It's how do you act as a child of God. If you're, not, if you're not acting like this, then you're probably not really a child of God. And it's, you know, you have to wear these, sorts, these types of clothes. You have to have this type of haircut. You have to listen to this kind of music. You have to, listen to, this, you have to read this version of the Bible, blah, 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 all the way down the line. And, and it's, it's legalistic sanctification. That's the main problem in the church today. So Paul talks about uh, you know, that, he talks about justification, and then we get to chapter 4, and he brings up the idea of adoption, and he, and he brings it up because he wants, us to, he wants to remind us that we don't, the reason we don't have to, to, to hold to the law, the reason we don't have to make these rules that we keep and such is because we have been made sons and daughters of God. We have been made mature. We have been accepted and, and bar mitzvahed into Christ, basically. We've been made and called children of God by adoption. And the adoption that we're talking about tonight is different from the adoption you're thinking of. And we'll get into that. So let's look at chapter 4, verse 1. Now I, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, so we're talking about a child who has an inheritance coming to him, right? child who is born of a king, a prince, you know, say Prince George in England, you know, the first son of William and Kate. He will one day be the king of England. It's his birthright. He has usurped his uncle in the order 
of succession. So Charles will become king, William will become king, and then someday George will become king. That's just the way it works. And Paul says, now the heir, as long as he's a child, differs nothing from a servant or a slave, though he be lord of all. But he's under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. So we are, without Christ, immature and bound. Plain and simple. One of the great mistakes in contemporary culture is this thought that we're all the children of God. We sang the little, hymn, the little song at Christmas time, you know. Santa knows we're all God's children and that makes everything right. Well, no, we're not all God's children. You know, we're not all God's children. We're all God's creation. We're all God's offspring in a sense, but we're not His children until we accept Christ as Savior. Um, the mistake here is that we don't understand the difference between a child and a son. We don't know the difference. A child in Roman culture was little different from a slave. Like Paul says here, he differs nothing from a servant or a, or a bond slave. Even though he's Lord of everything, he, he's, he's not treated as such. Um, even today, an infant can't enjoy all the wealth of his father, right? A child can't enjoy all the wealth of his parents. Uh, you can't put children in charge of kingdoms and such. We've, we've seen how that plays out in history. You know, the nine-year-old pharaohs and, you know, the infant kings and such. So children then and children now are subjects because they need constant help to maintain their lives and they need constant instruction. And please know when I say this, I say this with all love in my heart for kids, but children cannot be trusted to make the right decision for themselves. So the parent who lets their six-year-old decide what gender they are is committing child abuse because that kid can't make that decision. Plain and simple. Those children do not have the maturity to make that kind of decision, correct? And so we have to get to the point, we have to get back to the point in the society where we say, okay, children need to be raised. We can't just let the, you know, it's like the people say, well, I'm going to let my child choose his religion. No, that's the dumbest thing on earth. If, if, you, if you know the truth, then you have a responsibility to teach your child the truth and raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, right? Plain and simple. So Paul is arguing to these Galatian Jews, this is who you were under the law. You were, you were just bond slaves. You were children, but you weren't children of God. Back in chapter 3, verse 23, uh, he says, But before faith came, we were kept under law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. We, once faith comes, we don't need a schoolmaster. Why? Well, we'll get to that. But it's the same for us today. Before we came to Christ, we were in bondage to our own principles. Sin clouded our, our ideas of right and wrong. Right? We were immature. We were children. No one's more sure of themselves than a child. Children are incredibly sure of themselves. That's why they get hurt. That's why they get in trouble. That's why 16-year-old boys get arrested. 
because they're incredibly sure of themselves. I'm not going to get caught. I can do this. She's not going to get pregnant. They're incredibly sure of themselves. Children are immature. And we were children before Christ. Immature, sure of ourselves, completely unaware of the fact that we were actually slaves to the ideas, habits, and systems that we learned before we found Christ. That's one of the things that we really need to get into people and make people understand, that the freedom they think they have without Christ is actually slavery. This freedom to do what you want is actually bondage to the devil. It's bondage to sin. And so Paul says, before, before we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Here's where the confusion begins, because adoption today is completely different from adoption in Paul's day. In Roman culture, every child was adopted at some point. Almost every child was adopted. So in Roman culture, a child born of a man and woman were cared for by servants and had little to no rights. They were basically slaves until they were declared to be full sons or daughters. Sometime between the ages of 12 and 14, a father would hold a celebration, a Roman version of a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, and declare that child to be a full son or daughter of him and his wife. You were born a child. You were made a son or daughter. Does that make sense? And everyone on earth can be considered the creation of God. But that does not assure us the privilege of being a son or a daughter of God. Correct? Everybody was born into this family of God when we're born again. But when we experience the second birth, we're also adopted into the family of God. That we are matured. We're declared to be a son. We're declared to be a man or a woman in Christ. That's at adoption, when Christ comes into our lives... God adopts us into His family. He declares us to be a grown person. And then He expects us to start acting like a grown person. <laughs> he declares us to be mature. And He expects us to start acting mature. Because we are matured into the faith of Christ and made the sons and daughters of God. So you could be born of a father and mother in Roman times, but if you were disobedient, I'm getting ahead of myself in my notes, but if you were disobedient, insolent, or weak, your parents could choose not to adopt you, and you'd be cast out, and you would have no father or mother, and nobody was going to adopt you. So everybody that was adopted in Roman times were adopted by their own birth parents. That's the, that's the concept Paul's talking about here when he talks about adoption. Your birth parent, in a very real sense, is God, because he created you. But you're not fully his child until he adopts you in Christ. Does that make sense? So how does this adoption happen? Well, it happens by redemption. Um, you know, you, you accept Christ, you, re, you repent of your sins, correct? Turn into Christ. At that moment, He justifies you before the legal bar of God and redeems you from your sins. And the result of redemption, there's two, there's, the result of justification is He imputes His righteousness upon you because he your your sin was imputed upon him on the cross 
So he imputes his righteousness on you. And then the result of redemption is that you, you are adopted into the family of God. You're matured into the family of God. Christ redeemed all those who were under the law. That's what it says here. And that includes everyone, not just the Jew, because the law was only the revelation of God, uh, was only the revelation of God the Father until Calvary. Then when Calvary came, everything changed. That's where Jesus paid the price for you and I. He wrote the check, paid the balance with his own blood. That's redemption. You know, when you um, went to the food line yesterday and bought some extra stuff that we needed, um, it was a couple days ago maybe, um, and they gave me my receipt, and I folded it up, put it in my wallet to turn in, and they gave me a, a coupon, okay? So I came, came back, and I looked at it, and this coupon was for $2.50 off one of those nice big jars of Panera soup that they sell there. And there's like four fifty for a jar, so that's over half price, half off, you know. I was like, hey, that's pretty cool. So I got this thing stuck on the refrigerator, and when I feel like soup, I'm going to go to Food Lion, and I'm going to redeem that coupon. So that coupon is absolutely worthless sitting on my refrigerator, right? But when I go into the store and I hand that to the cashier, that coupon becomes cash, okay, in my effect. So it takes off the price for me. I don't have to pay the full price, and the manufacturer promises to pay Food Lion the balance. That's what a coupon is. It's from the manufacturer, and it's a promise from the manufacturer that they're going to rebate the, 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 the store for the balance of the, food, of the cost. And that's what Christ did for us on the cross. We come to him. He offers us this redemption. And if we will just redeem it, if we'll, if we'll turn, in it, turn in the coupon, correct, and accept, what his son, his, his, accept the son for what he did for us, then he puts his blood in the register in heaven, and God the Father says, paid in full. Because the son paid our bill. That's redemption. He paid our bill. So we're redeemed, and because we're redeemed, um, we can be adopted. The redemption of Christ happened at the exact right time. Verse 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. There was no better time for Jesus Christ to come to this earth than the time he came. See, God was using Rome. As much as we want to thump our chests and declare that we're the greatest nation on earth, that God uses every nation to fulfill his holy purposes, right? God is using Iran right now to fulfill his purposes in his plan. He's using Saudi Arabia, he's using North Korea, and he's using America. Sometimes we don't like the way he's using America, but he's still using America, right? And he used Rome. God used Rome because what he did was he created a people who who came up with this idea of, of democratic rule where the people had to say so, and it quickly turned into a republic, and, which was actually kind of better, but not a whole lot better. And, but because it became a republic, then they were able to centralize things and start taking the people and getting the people to come together and say, okay, let's do things to make our lives better. So let's invent plumbing, right? Let's invent plumbing. Then we don't have to go to outhouses. Right? Then we can, we, can, uh, we can have water flowing in our homes. We don't have to go down to the, to the well. Let's, let's make roads. And Rome built roads. Rome was good at road building, man. All roads led to Rome, correct? 
and, and God used this so that, and then Rome basically created a, a, a community culture allowing, kind of like America, uh, where everybody was able to have their own culture that they grew up in. Hebrews could be Hebrews, Egyptians could be Egyptians, but we were all Roman citizens. And there was a common language, you know, uh, uh, in Jesus' time, Koine Greek was sort of the common language. Everybody had, you know, you, all, you always spoke your native tongue, but you also spoke Greek. A lot of people spoke Latin for official court documents and things like that. So not only was everybody able, able to be who they were, you know, Latino, African, whatever, you know, Egyptian, Hebrew, but they were also Roman. So by, by making all the roads, by, by combining the cultures, by getting a common language, everything was set so that the gospel could be spread in a way it never could have been spread before. And in a way, it could not be spread today. Because once we, get the, once we got the technology we have today, and honestly, in the last 10 years, the, the, the birth of social media, there's no way the gospel would be spread today the way it was in the first century. It would just be shot down immediately. You'd Because every idiot on this planet suddenly has a platform. There was a time when you wrote a letter to the editor of the newspaper, and a learned man with a degree and years of experience would read your letter and go, well, that guy's an idiot. And he'd throw it in the trash, and he'd never publish your letter. And nobody would ever hear it because you were an idiot. Now every idiot gets to get published every day on Facebook, right? <laughs> and so everybody is just, you know, a good friend of mine just got on a big Facebook argument with somebody over nothing, and it was like a 25 text. This, I mean, it just kept going on and on and on and on, and he was just egging this guy on. I know what, he, I know what Rob was doing. He was just egging this guy on because he was having fun with him. But these guys just couldn't let it go. Gospel would not get spread the day away it was in Rome. Because we, even though we have all these extra things, it wasn't the right time. So he, he, did it at the, he, did it, he did it at the right time. He did it in the right way. Born of a woman, a fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 7.14. Made under the law, right? Jesus said in Matthew 5.17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but fulfill. Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle, no, not one dotted I, not one cross T, in any way will pass from the law till the law is fulfilled. Jesus didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. There's a big difference there. The law still has great application for us. It's one of the things that's bothering me about what's happening now. There's two guys from Wheaton College just published a book through IVP Press where basically they're arguing that the moral law of God cannot be enforced, and it should not be enforced because it was a cultural thing for the time to help the Jews set, set about a certain governmental structure, that the Ten Commandments have absolutely new bearing on us today. And you know why they're saying that, because then they can, they can open up marriage to anybody and you know, all that sort of stuff. It just bothers me that Billy Graham's alma mater has two guys in their, on their staff that are publishing the, writing this pap. And, and then IVB Press, which was once a bastion of Christian literature, is publishing this junk. You know, we start, we're, we're starting to believe anything, aren't we? Fact is, is that, you know, we got, and I'll name names, Andy Stanley, saying that the Old Testament's worthless and we shouldn't be preaching it anymore. That the God of, ang the angry God of the Old Testament's not the God we worship anymore. Uh, give me a break. Same God. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to put brother against brother and father against son. 
I came to the, <laughs> I am not bringing peace, trust me. I'm bringing war, all right? This is the same Jesus who overthrew stone tables and took a, made a whip and started whipping people and chasing them out of the <coughs> temple, okay? So, listen, the Old Testament's still in effect. He made, he was made under the law because the law is good. And he did it for the right reason. So that all of his created men and women might have a chance to be adopted into the family. To redeem them that are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Like I said, not all the children in Roman households were adopted. Disobedient kids, weak kids, insolent kids who just could not you know, listen to instruction. They would have no inheritance of their father's property. They were never declared sons or daughters. And here's the thing we got to remember. Not every creation of God becomes a son or, son or daughter of God. Everybody doesn't get to heaven. I'm sorry, Rob Bell, but everybody doesn't go to heaven. Love doesn't win that way. Okay? The truth spoken in love wins. All right? Not every creation becomes a child of God. But every child of God is appointed to be a son or daughter of God, to be mature in Christ. We have rights and privileges that we too often do not enjoy because we are ignorant of our standing and our inheritance. Look at verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Daddy, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and of a son than an heir of God through Christ. Here's the point. Many of us still act like servants when we're actually sons and daughters of God. We walk around looking like we've been sucking on dill pickles all day, you know, all depressed and upset. And I'm not denying that there's true depression and, and, and anxiety and things that just because you come to Jesus doesn't mean all your problems get solved. But let me tell you something. You're, if you're a child of God, you're an heir of the king. Quit walking around like a pauper. Amen? Just start walking like a child of the king. Start, start, start you know, claiming the inheritance that you have. You know, how do you act like a son or daughter of the king? Number one, recognize the spirit within you. Listen to him. The Holy Spirit invades the born-again child of God at the moment of salvation. It's not a second blessing. You don't get the Holy Spirit a sec by some other time when somebody lays hands on you or prays over you or speaks tongues to you or something like that. You get the Holy Spirit of God when you experience the second birth. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, you get the Holy Spirit right then. You need to recognize that He lives within you. If, you. if He lives within you, recognize that He lives within you. Start listening to Him. Stop tuning Him out. Start tuning Him in. 2 Peter 1.3 According as His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that's called us to glory and virtue, whereby we are given exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature. You're called to be partakers of the divine nature of God, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. You have God's nature if you are born again. Start using it. Start experiencing it. Start walking in it. Secondly, realize that you have a father and not a master. Jesus says, I don't call you servants anymore, but I call you brother, right? I call you friend. 
You're, you're, you're close to me now. You're my brother, my sister. This is what Paul says in Romans 8.14. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. But you have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Abba, Baba, Dada. First word of most kids on this earth. You know, in Swahili, it's Baba. In, in Paul's day, it was Abba. We say Dada or Daddy, Papa. It's the first word. And this is what Paul's saying. That's who we called God. When I was in Kenya, the, pa- the Kenyan pastors, they started every prayer with Baba Asante. Daddy, thank you. <laughs> that was that. Daddy, thank you. I mean, they did not have a formal name for God. We pray in American churches, Lord, thank you. You know, and Lord, and Lord, and Lord, and Lord. And how, you, it's, a, it's a great game, you know, like count how many times the deacon uses the word Lord <laughs> in his prayers, right? Am I right? Start using the word Daddy. See how things start changing. People might start thinking a little bit differently, right? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to call him Daddy. My grandfather would not let his children call him Father. They had to call him Daddy. He said, you got one father. He's in heaven. I'm your dad. Plain and simple, right? But the Bible here says we're supposed to call God Daddy. Listen to this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, then we may also be glorified together. That's what we're called to, guys. So, you know, recognize who's in you. Recognize that you have a father, not a master. Recognize that you're supposed to live out your life out of love and not fear. You're not supposed to live your life in fear. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. 1 John 4.18, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He that fears is not perfectly made in love. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Every relationship you have, approach it in love. I know that's really hard to do with some gunnies, right? But love them, because Christ loves them. Christ died for them as much as he died for you, so love them. You know, I love every one of you. I really do. I want the best for you. My whole goal in all this ministry is to raise up men and women to follow Christ, to go back home, get involved in your church, serve like crazy, be some pastor's best friend. That's what I want. Some of you all are being called into ministry. I want to see you go into ministry. That's because I love you. Every relationship you have in your life, you should work out of you should work it out of love, not of fear. If you find yourself fearful in a relationship, stop. Reevaluate. Figure out why that person is making you fearful, and then start praying for them out of love. Fourthly, remind yourself that you have a future. 
2 Corinthians 12, 14, Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. He says, I'm not coming to get anything from you. I'm coming to get you. <laughs> I'm coming for you. I'm coming to help you. I love you. And I have laid up things for you because you have a future. I want to give you what I have. That's the other reason I do this. I want to give you guys what I have. Sometimes I come in here and I have my notes. For tonight I wanted to because with adoption I wanted to make sure I, I hit certain points and everything. Sometimes I just open my Bible and I just wing it. Because, you know, I've read this stuff so long. And I just want to give you what's on my heart at the moment. You know? It just depends on the night. Depends on what God's laying on my heart. But, you know, you guys, you line up asking me questions. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I can't get out of here. On Friday nights, I can't get out of here until after midnight most of the time. You're asking me questions. You, you want to know things. And, and I love that. And I love that I'm at the point now in my life where I can answer those questions. I, I remember 20-some-odd years ago sitting in my pastor's office going, okay, what about this? And I go, oh, well, let's go over here in 2 Corinthians 5. And, and I'm going, how does this guy know this? <laughs> And now you guys come up to me and say something. I go, oh, yeah, Ephesians 2. Come here, look at this. And, I'm like, and I go, whoa, I became that guy. And some of you guys look at me sometimes. You go, how do you know this? And I just have to look at you and go, because I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. <laughs> I've been preaching this Bible longer than you've been living. You know, that's the only reason I know this stuff. And you will, too. You will, too. You will know this stuff. You know, when you're in your 40s, you're going to look back on this time, and you're going to go, whoa, was I stupid, <laughs> right? And you're going to go, man, I'm so glad, I'm so glad I listened to Dave and I kept reading my Bible every day. That's what you're going to say to yourself. Because now I know stuff, you're going to start, you know what you're going to start doing? You're going to start memorizing scripture without even knowing you're memorizing it. You read it enough, you memorize it, and you didn't even know you memorized it. I love that. Like I've said before, I think, I think I'm somewhere around 500 verses that I've intentionally memorized, something like that. But I bet you I know a thousand. I'm just telling you, because it's just it just pops. It just oh yeah, oh that's just Psalm 19, you know. And I'm like, how did I know that? The Holy Spirit of God lives in me, guys. I don't know it. He knows it. What did Jesus say in John 14 when you're asked? Don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say when it's time. You know, if you just if you're just submissive to the Spirit of God, if you accept the fact that you've been adopted by God and you're now a grown up in Christ. You'll start acting like a grown up in Christ and you'll start acting like you know what you're talking about because you will. That's it. It's all it takes. You know, there's no magic bullet. There's no secret pill. There's no, you know, there's no 12 steps to freedom or any of that kind of stuff. It's simple. It's accept the fact that you've been saved, if you've been saved, and start acting like it. Start walking in it. Start accepting what Christ has for you. You got a future. Hey, God is very interested in you. One time I was going through a really, really tough time. I got to stop because I'm running late. I was going through a really, really tough time in the ministry. Really tough time. And Georgetta Bonds came up to me 
and at the time, um, her and her husband John were at our church, and John was my co-pastor for a short period of time. He, he was the pastor of the church before I got there, and he transitioned me into it. Um, and he was one of my great mentors. But Georgetta was a great mentor, too. And one time I was going through such a hard time, and Georgetta pointed her crooked little finger at me. She was in her latest 70s, and her finger was all twisted by arthritis, and she pointed her finger right at me. It's kind of pointing over to the side, actually. But she said, David, you need to understand something. There's somebody always thinking about you. You're never not on his mind. His name is Jesus, and he's actually praying for you right now. I had to stop and think. Man, she's right. There's never a moment of the day that you're not on God's mind. He knows you. He knows every thought you have. He knows everything you're doing. He adopted you for goodness sakes. He declared you to be his son or daughter, fully mature in his son, Jesus Christ. So he's interested in what you, it's, he's interested in your life. He, he's actually very, very interested in blessing you and keeping you and protecting you, providing for you. So start acting like it. And then you'll open the channel for him to do what he needs to do in your life. Questions, comments, observations? Yes, sir. Well, kind of like the whole point where you said he was your father, so it started like addressing him and such. Even like the Lord's Prayer says, uh, My Father. My Father who art in heaven. Yeah. I'll be the name. So you call him Father in the mm -hmm. Lord's Prayer directly. So yeah. why not address him as such? Exactly. He's your dad. You know? Now, I know not everybody has great dads on earth. And if you don't, that's okay. You got a great dad in heaven. If you have a great dad on earth, though, Think about your relationship with your dad and think about how much more your father in heaven loves you than your dad on earth. Jesus says if a son comes to his father and says, hey, give me some money, is he going to give him a serpent or a stone? No. He says if evil men know how to be good to their sons, how much better is your father in heaven going to be good to you if you just ask him for something? You know, he's very interested in blessing you. You know, I'm still there for my boys. My boys are grown out of the house. I got grandchildren, but I'm still very interested in my boys. And I'm still, you know, I, my boys are still at that point in their life where I was at their age, where I'm, where their dad's still throwing money at them. You know, when I was, when I was their age, <laughs> actually until I was about 30, my dad was throwing money at me all the time, you know, and, uh, that's, that's where they're at. You know, I'm very interested in blessing them. I'm interested in making sure their lives are good. I want to make sure, you know, I'm always checking on them. Always, me and Ben went and had breakfast yesterday morning up at Thigs, and, you know, I'm just, I'm interested in their lives. God is interested in your life. Absolutely. Anyone else? Um, going through, uh, listening to a podcast today, and it was in Romans, and um, he's talking about how, like, we're justified by his blood, and then how much more shall we be saved? Yeah. Um, you know, having been reconciled through his life. And so pretty much what the pastor was talking about, how like a lot of us, our Christianity is based on, well, Jesus died for me, so I'm saved. But then it's like, well, how much more does it mean to us that he, that he lived and now he's living through us? And so he kind of compared it to like somebody who, who takes a trip to Disneyland yeah. and they walk into Disneyland and they sit out right, right past the gate. And they wait there for a few hours, maybe they get some cotton candy, take a picture, and then they walk out. And it's yeah. like, well, 
Yeah, you know, I went to Disneyland. Went right past the gate, just sat down, kind of right there in front of the gate with my blanket and stuff. And it's like, well, did you go on a ride? Did you, like, experience the park? It's like, no, I just sat there at the gate. It wasn't really all that much fun. And it's like, that's how a lot of Christians live their lives as Christians. Yeah. It's like, Jesus died, so and true. so they're like, oh, I'm saved. I'm in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you're not experiencing anything, you know? And so, kind of like how you were talking about how, like, you've been adopted, so act like it. It's like, you're in the kingdom, and that's great and all, but, like, start living like it. Like, start experiencing, you know, what this life looks like. See what God has for you, because he's got a lot for you. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something. He's got a lot for you. There Now, there's, is there going to be pain? There's going to be heartache? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of that. But there's a lot to balance it out, too. There's a lot that you can see. You, you know, it's just really thrilling watching God use you and do his will through your life. It's just, it's, there's nothing like it on earth. And seeing God answer your prayers, you know, and I've seen God answer my prayers in just insane ways. I mean, like Elijah ways, you know. I mean, <laughs> I've seen some crazy stuff. Um, I mean, I, you know, I we had a prayer meeting. Remember Brandon with his heart? This kid was a, one of our kids at our church was a, was a student at Liberty, and he had a pimple under his arm, and he got infected. He ended up in in ICU with an infection around his heart. Yeah. And it, it, the, the infection spread and went right around his heart, and it was enveloping his heart and squeezing his heart, fluid around his heart. And... Um, we went down there and met and saw him and prayed with him, came back, and, and they said, okay, well, they called back, and they said, hey, he's going in for an operation tomorrow. They're going to remove the fluid, all this kind of stuff. And so I called a special prayer meeting at church. It was like a, I think it was a Monday night. night. It was a Friday night. That's right. It was a Friday night. I just called everybody in the church. I said, this is back in the days, four texts and all that kind of stuff. I just called everybody I knew and said, call everybody you know. We're having a prayer meeting at 6 o'clock tonight at the church. We're going to pray for Brandon. And about 15, 20 people showed up, and um, we prayed for an hour and just said, God, do not let this boy die. Heal him. The next day, they were getting ready for the operation. They did the, the final chest x-ray. There was nothing. There was nothing. And the doctors were going, yeah, we must have made a big mistake because there's nothing there, and it shouldn't be gone. If there was something there, it would still be there. There was nothing there. When we, when we, when we were down there, remember, even the doctors came into the room, they're like, There's, we just can't explain. How is this boy healed? Yeah. That's right. We went down afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, they, they could not explain it. You know, that stuff happens. And if you just open yourself up to what God has for you, you'll see it happen. It's it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And he's perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah, he's a... He was he's, hours away from death. I yeah, mean, yeah. Away, not so far away. Now he's graduated, working on his master's and his doctorate in psychology. He's in the army. He's a... He's a... I think he's a... I think he's a, I think he's a first lieutenant right now. And, and uh, yeah, but... <laughs> You know, and he's he's going to be a clinical psychiatrist for the army once he gets his doctorate. You know, so 
you know, and he should be dead. You know, by all rights, the kid should be dead. There's no way he should be alive. But God does that kind of stuff. He, he just, it's amazing the things you can see God do if you just let him do it. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for the night and everybody here. Thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. Bless the hearing of your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Field Notes. If you have been blessed by the preaching and teaching you have heard, consider visiting our website at militaryfellowshipministry.com and click the Donate button. Any amount will be a great help to us as we continue to reach our men and women in the military with the gospel. Join us next week as we continue our study of God's Word. God bless you.